Hi, I'm Stephen. And hi, I'm Charlotte. And welcome to Mirth and Magic, the RPG podcast. Welcome back, guys. Hey, and welcome to our second episode. How are you today, Charlotte? I'm very well, Steve. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm currently playing through uh, SMT3 Nocturne. I just bought that recently. I also bought the Digimon Cyber Sleuth game, um, which I'm not actually that impressed with. I've been hearing your updates on how much you don't like it over the last <laughs> three days. It's not that, I, I don't know, I just... Like I kept hearing it was really good, and I'm just a bit disappointed with how uh, not good it is. <laughs> That's politically correct, how not good it is. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't know, like you get like Palmon at the start, which is one of my favourite Digimon, and she's just like, like, she doesn't say anything, she stands there in the background swaying her arms annoyingly, and it doesn't really catch the spirit of the cartoon. But then again, I am 35 years old, so I don't know if it's just lost on me, I, I don't know. But I've put it on the back burner for a while, I've picked up SMT3 again. I haven't played it for like... 17 years now but it's one of my favorites as we'll talk about later how are you and what you've been up to so ever since we did the last episode i've been replaying the original final fantasy 7 just because it gave me a bit of a hunger for it but Mm -hmm. i'm also gonna start playing smt3 just so that we can then have a chat about it so i'm right at the end of ff7 now so i should be starting that in the next couple of days Ooh, i'm really interested to see what you think uh, yeah, from what you've said, I think I will like it. But currently, I'm just sat watching the rain out the window and drinking tea, which is the most English way to spend a Sunday. So, <laughs> I'm in my study. The curtains are shut, the lamps on, I'm drinking coffee. So it's the exact opposite. Ah, nice. <laughs> uh, I heard you went to the Final Fantasy VII Remake concert recently. I did, and that was so good. We went down to London for it, and they played a load of the... Basically, it was just the remake music, but right at the very end, they played kind of Aerith's original theme and One Winged mm-hmm. Angel. And yeah, it was just really nice. The place was packed and it was in the Royal Albert Hall. So it was like thousands of Final Fantasy fans. And it was it was just quite nice to see. It felt very wholesome. So it was a full orchestra? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Was there any, like, any guest appearances from anybody from the Final Fantasy team there? They had a load of um, interviews, like tiny little interviews with the composer and the producer and like the art director that they flashed up between different songs. So, Oh, like a video? Yeah, I think especially because of COVID, I think having anyone there in person was always going to be a bit unlikely. But right. no, it was really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Did you get any merchandise? I got the little program after I wandered around looking for it for about 15 minutes. <laughs> but luckily, Final Fantasy fans are lovely people, so people helped direct me. So... Shall we get into the topic of our second podcast? Yes, let's do it. So this one is going to be about our top 10 RPGs. We've listed them in order. I'm going to go reverse order. So from number 10 to number one, rather than like the best and then get progressively worse, even though they're all good. (laughs) Yeah, it's slightly worse than the other ones I've been talking about. (laughs) And this one's even slightly worse than that one, and it's slightly worse than that one, and then we get to the worst of the best. Yeah, Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Great time, (laughs) listeners, listening to the disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) They they are all our favourite games, though. I mean, mine are anyway. I don't know if you've gone from like your favourite down to your very hated one and made a very strange list. 
Oh, I'm sure at some point we could do our top 10 hated. And again, it's <laughs> I find that hard to do, I think, actually. That's true, because the thing is, if I don't like them, I won't finish them. Yeah, so same. I think I'd have to pick the ones I hated the first bit of, finish them, then bitch about them. <laughs> That's time consuming. Well, uh, let's get into it. I think you should go first. What is your 10th favourite RPG? So I had a bit of a think when I did this list, and I didn't actually expect this one to make it in. But when I was thinking about games that really stuck with me, this one from when I was a lot younger did, and that's Kingdom Hearts 2. I played oh, the first Kingdom Hearts when it first came out, and I was really young. I'm not sure how old, but like primary school age. And I thought it was okay. Like I really liked the battle system. But again, I was quite young, and it's relatively simple. And then when Kingdom Hearts 2 came out, I don't know why, but it just really stuck with me. I felt the characters in that game, I just really enjoyed spending it with them. And the battle system was so good. And I ended up replaying it like four or five times in the space of just like three years. But unfortunately, I've not really touched it since I was about 15. And I think it's because the games that followed Kingdom Hearts 2, I just really didn't like. And I think that was a bit of a combination of me getting older and the massive time gap between like the official two and three. Hmm. And it just went a little bit convoluted for my liking. And since then, I've never gone back and played two. But I still stuck it in my list at at number 10 because I enjoyed it so much when I did originally play it that I can't help but look back at it quite fondly. Mm -hmm. I've played Kingdom Hearts 1 and I think I've played 2. Was 2 the one with like Ariel and a little mermaid in it? Uh, That was in 1 and 2. Oh God, in (laughs) 2. That section's awful. Is that the one where you sing like part of your world? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I've played it. (laughs) Instantly, as soon as I remembered the sing section, I regret having it in my top 10. (laughs) it's so awful <laughs> no hang on it's not it's not part of your world is it it's um it's do 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 we'll have to edit that out i don't think we can sing music on the podcast but oh, uh, i think we're keeping that in because it was so it didn't even sound like the original song i think <laughs> but it wasn't even like just singing like the little mermaid songs there were like some original tracks that the characters sung and oh yeah can, can i take it out for top 10 because it's just the worst thing Oh my God, no. <laughs> this is your game. <laughs> oh, um, I wasn't going to judge me. <laughs> I never really, like, is two the one with a gummy ship or is that in both of them? That's the, the proper gummy ship. It's, it's kind of in both. People more think that it's the gummy ship in one, but it is in both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never, I mean, I played it back in the day. I played for it once and I think I completed it. And I, I like the music that came with it. The stuff like, um, is it Otada Hikaru who sings the, the theme songs and they're really good? Yeah, they're really good. But I, I never really got on board. Like, I do like Disney and I, I like seeing all the Final Fantasy characters and stuff, but it was a bit kiddie for me, personally. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think the age I was when they came out, I really liked them at that time. I think it's part of the reason I've never gone back and replayed them. Mm, yeah, because you're when, much When older. they first <laughs> came out, I would have been like pre-14, I think, when both of them came out. Right. Well, my 10th favourite game is Final Fantasy XIV, which I only actually started playing uh, just over a year ago and has since quit. It kind of sucked me back into MMOs after a decade since I last played one. I used to play World of Warcraft back in the day, and I was very wary of playing another one because I do have a tendency to get sort of drawn into them and spend a lot of time on them, and that did happen. Um, Less time than my old days on World of Warcraft, but still a substantial amount of time. And for five, six months that I played, it was pretty much the only game that I played. 
But it was very enjoyable. There's a lot to do. And the social side of the game uh, does, that's what kind of draws you to it because you get to know people, like real people, and you can go, you can, you can play with them together, you can do things together. And that's what draws me back to it every time. And I had a great free company, which is like a, a guild that you join. And it was an LGBT one on Moogle, it's an EU server. Um, and I met a lot of friends on it, which I still talk to today on, on Discord. The storyline is great. Uh, it's a little bit convoluted as time goes on, but it's good. And the amount of side quests, oh my God, there's so much to do in that game. If you don't like fighting, you can do housing. If you like housing or fighting, you can do sort of uh, gambling, I suppose. The gold saucer, which brings me on to the point that there's so many references to older games uh, within Final Fantasy XIV, but it did become a bit sort of all-encompassing after a while. And I felt like... After six months, even though I was friends with everybody, I, I, I bought a PS5 and that was that changed the game completely for me because the loading times are lightning fast now and the graphics were so, so much better on PS5. But I felt like there were other games I could be playing on my PS5. You know, this is, I, I might go back to it one day. Um, I did enjoy it, but I, I'm not in the, the mood to right now. But I know you haven't played it, uh, but I do think you should give it a go. <laughs> oh, my God. Steve, you spent a year and a half trying to convince me to play this, and you're still doing it now actively on the podcast. A year and a half. I played it for six months. How could it be a year and a half that I get you to play it? <laughs> That's how long it feels. Literally, three weeks at some point you go, so, have you thought about Final Fantasy XIV? And they'd be like, no, I haven't. I've got COVID, Steve. Listen, <laughs> Leave you me can alone. get <laughs> you can play it to level 60 for free the award-winning game final fantasy 14 with the award-winning expansion heavensward <laughs> you go don't worry i'll accompany you on the missions i'll ease you into it <laughs> like, no. i'll give you i'll give you money in game money and not real life money although if that's what it takes to get you to play i can send a fiver your way you don't, you don't even play it anymore and still you're on this mission <laughs> The thing is, like at one point you were trying to convince me to play it while I was still midway through Persona 5, which you also convinced me to play. I was like, one thing at a time, one convinced game at once, please. Yes, but I mean, was I right about Persona 5? Yeah, you were right. <laughs> yeah, you were. And it took up like 80 hours of my life. <laughs> 80? Wow, I had like 120 on that. I'm really slow with my levelling. To be fair, I think 80 was just one of the games. I played it multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> All right, so uh, what's your number nine? So my number nine, it's from a series of games that I love and I have done since they first came out, and that's Shadow Hearts 2 or Shadow Hearts Covenant, depending what you want to call it. Uh, it's hard for me to justify it being higher up on the list just because playing it back now, there's a lot, a lot of problematic elements in that game. And my love of it is very much linked to more how much I love the first one. Because the storyline of the main protagonist follows through into this game. And I absolutely love him and his storyline. But Shadow Hearts 2, it's much more kind of slapstick and more like a regular RPG than the original Shadow Hearts, which was, it was almost like a horror RPG. Not so much as Kadelka, which was the prequel to Shadow Hearts, which is very much a horror RPG that we will talk about at some point, I'm sure. But mm -hmm. just purely because of his continuation of the storyline in Shadow Hearts 2 and how much that means to me. I, I need it to be in my top 10 just because I think about it on a regular basis. And also the battle system in that game is great. It operates by what we call the judgment ring. And essentially, in order to attack, you have to click X on a spinning circle as it hits a certain segment. 
So you're no longer, it's not one of those RPGs where you just sit there hitting X in order to fight, but it's also standing in a line turn-based. And that combination, I just really, really love these games. So, so is it a, like bit like, a bit like Tifa's Limit Break in Final Fantasy VII original? Kind of. It's a similar sort of thing, except in a circle. And then you can get status elements where like your ring can disappear or the ring will speed up or the segments will get smaller. And it just adds like a whole new element to that game of making the battles more complex and keeping you immersed. And the original storyline is so dark. And even though it's not so much in this one, it's still a very unusual RPG that stands out from a lot of the other ones of that era. But like I said, I can't put it higher up on the list. A, because it's a bit more slapsticky. And as we'll talk about when we talk about this game, very problematic elements that make me sad now when I replay it. Oh, okay. I never, I never played it. I never played any Shadow Hearts games, but I know you're a huge fan. Um, so I'm interested to see what these uh, problematic elements are. You will not like the problematic elements. Oh, put it that well. way. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have you played it recently, or is that how you know this? Have you just been remembering stuff from the past? I replayed it about maybe three years ago. I think was when I last played it. And I normally replay it because if I replay the original Shadow Hearts, which I do like to do, I then feel the need to play Shadow Hearts 2 because it's the continuation of his story. So even though I find it problematic, I can't really play one without them wanting to play two. It just to me, they're almost like a continuation of the same game, but except I prefer mm. one half. So whenever I p- replay Shadow Hearts, I, I replay this one as well. So yeah, I think it was about three years ago. Okay. Uh, so my number nine is... Breath of Fire 2, which uh, admittedly I haven't played it for a very long time, but it stuck with me. I love the Breath of Fire series up to a point. I've only played one, two, three, and I played five. I don't like five. I never got the chance to play four. Um, I don't know. I think it was hard to find. So that's why I never played it, but I, I would like to. But I think two was actually the first one I played. I didn't play one first, I played two first. And are you familiar with the series? I've heard of them and I know they're very popular, but, and I don't know why, but I've never got around to playing them and I'm not sure mm. why. So it's, it's a really good game. Um, it's the first game I played that I can remember, which is like where you start off like killing a slime that's harassing someone in the town. And then at the end of the game, you end up killing God, you know? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, one of those. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a really good cast of characters including a secret character you can recruit if you do certain things, which I love in any RPG. You know, give me a, a Vincent Valentine or a Yuffie any day and I'll recruit them. We know how you feel about those, Steve. <laughs> the, uh, the optional character in this game is actually uh, from the first game. But uh, I'm kind of, what I like about Breath of Fire is that they're all linked. So there's always a character called Ryu, which is the guy that you, you play as, the main character. And he's uh, usually related to a previous game's Ryu, or I think sometimes even the same one. There's always a Nina, and Nina's always princess. And I'm desperate for a remake of this game because, well, A, I want a reboot of the Breath of Fire series because it's it's long dead. It has, there hasn't been a new game for many years now, or well over a decade. But there are some things that haven't really aged well in this game, like you slow walk everywhere. You can't run until later in the game when you buy like a pair of athletic shoes that you equip as um, an accessory, which, mm, no. <laughs> that means for the first half of the game, you're like walking through at a snail's pace and it gets really annoying really quickly. 
and uh, the the translation as well, it's it's not great. There are some spots in it a bit like um, you know the bit of Final Fantasy Seven we mentioned last podcast where Aerith is like um, this guy are sick. Oh. This guy are sick, yeah. And like Genova's only line in it is like, because you are a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that, but a whole game of it. So <laughs> yeah, I'm exaggerating, but it, it is pretty bad. But unusually for a, a game of its age, I think it came out in 95, there is, there's quite a substantial side quest. So there's a township that you inherit and you uh, you build it up. And you get these houses in it and these shops and you recruit people to live in the houses. So let's take, for example, there's seven houses, I don't know. House number four, you can recruit like 10 different people around the world and each one will bring you a different thing. So if you want a weapon shop, you get this guy. If you want like advice on the game, you get this guy. If you And it's good. You can build your own little town that way. And it changes the appearance of the town too. Plus, spoiler alert for this uh, almost uh, 30-year-old game. It has a moment in it which is much sadder than Aerith dying of Final Fantasy VII. How dare you? And nobody remembers it. I'm the only one who remembers this death. There is a character called Rand in this game who was like an armadillo horse. Oh, by the way, the characters are all like animals, like anthropomorphic animals in Breath of Fire, apart from Nina and Ryu. And... uh, there's a scene where you are trying to escape this uh, area and the walls are caving in. And if nobody does something soon, you're all going to get squashed. And his mum appears out of nowhere. She's like a big armadillo woman and she holds the wall for you to run past her. And then the wall crushes her. And it's so sad. And you move on really quickly. <laughs> um, oh, okay. It must be any animal dying. Okay. I'm on board. That is sadder. I haven't even played it and it's sadder. <laughs> But we'll we'll play this game together at some point. Uh, like I said, not played for many years, and I would like to. And now it's on the Switch, so we can easily do that for a future episode. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's do that. All right. So, what's your number eight? So, number eight actually is Final Fantasy VII, and Ooh. I'm sure on your list it's going to be higher up than eight. But Final Fantasy VII, I didn't play as early as some of the other ones. I played eight through ten first, then went back and played seven. I think when seven came out, what year did seven come out originally? Ooh, I think it was 96 or 97. Then, yeah, I would have been four when Final Fantasy seven came out. <laughs> so I was a bit too young to play it when it initially did. And then by the time I went back and did play it, I think I was about 11-ish, maybe a bit older than that. And I struggled a bit with the graphics of it going back. And I think that's because I was a kid and I was like, these graphics aren't as good as Final Fantasy X. This is, this is ridiculous. How can I possibly play? And I do love this game. I think the storyline's amazing. Most of the characters I'm really on board with and have, they've got excellent character development, some of them. But I don't find the world quite as rich and immersive as some of the other following Final Fantasy games. Some of them are, like places like, you know, Midgar and all those places. They're, you do, but there's so many little places you visit once for a few minutes and it just doesn't stick with me quite as much and Mm. I think a lot of it's in the translation of it but at times I can find the storyline or I did originally find the storyline a little bit confusing to follow along with exactly what was going on with the Sephiroth clones and then Soldier having Genova cells and then being bathed in Marco and then Cloud and Zack being experimented Uh it all just got a little bit for like 12 year old me I just struggled a little bit to figure out exactly what was going on but I do still love it. The material system is one of the better RPG things to exist. It's so much fun combining them all together to make different things occur. 
and some of the side missions and the side things you can do it's just really enjoyable and it's it's a long game and it's very immersive and it did change the kind of rpg era in a very good way when it did come out so that's why i've placed it as number eight yeah you said you don't like the setting so much but i actually love the sort of industrial sci-fi feel to places like um midgar and, and rocket town i really enjoyed that sort of aesthetic yeah, I was Midgar, I really liked it. It was so dark and greasy and grimy, and I did love that. But then it's more the other locations, like um, Costa del Sol. <laughs> so, like, there's so many other little tiny towns that you go through, and then you never really need to go back there again. When I think of the world of Final Fantasy VII, I think of, like, four or five places rather than the entire map itself, where there's a lot of kind of almost dead space on the Final Fantasy VII map. Like, the whole continent where Wutai is, other than Wutai, there's really not much there. There's nothing there. It so. <laughs> yeah, it just feels a little bit empty compared to like Final Fantasy IX, where I find that world so rich and there's so many reasons to go back to places multiple times and or certain reasons that you go back and the city's completely changed. And I just find that world much more gripping than Final Fantasy VII's. Yeah, I get what you mean about the small towns. Like I remember, what is that town called? It's like the Phoenix town with the Phoenix egg on top of it that hatches. Oh my God, that mini game kills me every time I have to play it. I weirdly love that mini game. I don't know why. <laughs> I really like it. But yeah, Fort Condor. Fort Condor, that's it, yeah. Oh, uh, and <laughs> also the one um, where Aerith's mum's from, um, where she was born, I believe, the Snowy Town. Oh, I like- yeah, like Icicle, Icicle Inn or something like that, yeah. I like that one. I do. Uh, I generally do like the aesthetic of the game, and I think the characters are some of the best I've ever had in a Final Fantasy game. And not just the main cast, they're great as well, of course. But um, the Turks, I think they're fantastic. My number eight is uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne, and I'm replaying this right now. I played this when it first came out in 2004 or five. I don't remember exactly. And I never completed it because it's really bloody hard. <laughs> the game stuck with me for so long, and it actually did get me to play uh, other games in the series. So this is a huge series, uh, especially in Japan. And there's just so many spin-offs. There's like Digital Devil Summoner, which is a spin-off. And there's the Persona series, which is the most famous spin-off. It's a whole franchise in itself. Uh, but this game in particular was the first SMT game. Well, actually, the only SMT game I've actually played. I haven't played four. Uh, five comes out in November. So I'll be interested in buying that uh, when it goes on sale. But yeah, it's, it's a particularly difficult game. Uh, it starts off a fairly simple game, I think. It's a very traditional RPG in terms of mechanics. It's a very simple battle system. It's kind of like a more adult version of Pokemon because you as a main character recruit enemies to join your party and become party members. And you do that through negotiation. Sometimes they'll approach you and they ask you to join. Sometimes you have to beat them into submission. Sometimes they <laughs> want money. Sometimes it, they won't join you unless you've got a certain level or if you a certain skill. And then you can also fuse them to make new party members. So like in Persona, you, you can fuse demons together to make a brand new one, which could be stronger, could be weaker. It can be a, a lonely game. I remember feeling that when I first played. It can feel very isolating, but... I think that's the point. It takes place in a sort of dystopic Neo-Tokyo, which I won't spoil because it's been re-released recently. So I know people are probably playing it for the first time now. Yeah, including me. Yeah. So it's sort of a, a very dystopic area. 
and it, it does feel lonely, but it works for it in a way. It does have multiple endings as well, uh, which is good. You can choose the the course of the story. The story is not too complex, but to begin with, but it does sort of evolve into quite a complex decision making story later on. So it's been re released recently, and they've made some uh, quality of life changes for the re release. So obviously the graphics are improved. It looks a lot smoother and cleaner. The music in the game, I think there's some issues with certain parts of it. I haven't really noticed any compression issues, but I've heard there are some, I believe, on the Switch. But they also added two major abilities, which vastly improved the game for me. So the first one is you can save anywhere. Um, so it's really good. You don't have to like find these save points, which can be quite far apart in these games. And it's a tough game. So if you've made a lot of progress and you die, you're going to be annoyed. Whereas now you can suspend and quit the game and come back to it at any point, which is a, a massive quality of life improvement, in my opinion. Yeah. The second so I like, improvement... I like the that... phrase quality of life improvement. <clears throat> I like that phrase. <laughs> yeah, QOL, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living so much better now. <laughs> The other major quality of life improvement they made is when you fuse demons, they used to inherit random skills. So you might lose a really valuable spell or ability, and you could never sort of predict what would happen when you fuse two demons together. Now you can sort of pick the skills they inherit. So that's way better. Like you can do that in Persona too, right? You can sort of pick the skills uh, when you when you fuse the different Personas together. Yeah. Yeah, it used to be random and it was a nightmare. If you were trying to get like one demon with a fire spell, one with an ice spell, one with a lightning spell, and then your fire demon suddenly lost all its fire spells, that was a pain in the ass. <laughs> but now it, it, it's much better. And um, we're, we are going to do an episode on this in the near future. We're currently, like I said, both playing through it. Charlotte's going to start in a day or two when uh, I'm about four, five hours in now. And uh, yeah, I'm enjoying it immensely. So what's your number seven? So my number seven is Neo Automata, which is probably one of the more modern ones on my list. I didn't play it when it originally came out. I kept seeing the artwork for it and seeing it in shops and just thinking, this is not my sort of thing at all. Because everything you see at this game, it's half-naked women with what seems to be like a kind of almost like a shooter game, which is just mm-hmm. really far off anything that I'm interested in. And then I only really got interested in it when, whenever I was on YouTube, I kept looking at, you know, kind of game videos. I kept seeing things about it or people saying like, this is the best RPG you'll probably never play and things like that. And it just got me a bit interested. And eventually I saw it on sale like years after it came out and I got it. And I'm really glad I did because it's, it's fantastic. It's such a, it's such a dark, gritty story. And the battle system is actually really fun. There are shooting elements to it, but when they're in there, they're done well. And the actual normal gameplay, even though it's more of a kind of ac- an action RPG than turn-based, it's so satisfying. And I don't really want to give any spoilers away from what happens in this, because I know that you haven't played it, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to make you. So I don't want to give anything away that happens. But it's one of these games where you, you, in a way, play through it three times, or you play through parts of it three times to get the full story. And it, it just fits together so well and it's hard to say exactly why it's good without giving away spoilers but even small side characters and small side missions like they stick with you and you remember them there's Mm. certain bits of this game that actually broke my heart slightly when i played them and for a game that doesn't yeah and for a game that doesn't actually have any humans in it they're all robots and androids i think that is achieving something 
and the endings again they just stick with you like i know that before neo automata there were a couple of other games and it and they, they kind of followed on vaguely from another series that he did and i think by the sounds of it automata's kind of really brought this company to the forefront and they've now remade one of the original ones which i've also bought but haven't played yet and i can see why because it's you can see the love that's been put into this game it's so well made and as long as you can look past the fact that there's half naked android women throughout the entire game which is quite easy to look past once you get used to it it's just amazing mm-hmm. yeah i've never played it but i do have some experience of it because uh final fantasy 14 had a big near automata event where you could fight some of the i believe bosses from the game and you, you could get some of the equipment that the the characters use including the uh the black sort of eye coverings that's a thing right yeah, like a headband yeah. yeah yeah i made my character wear that for a while i dyed it white but uh <sighs> yeah it was good they did not wear white how dare you steve <laughs> i was a white mage i wanted like a white outfit with like touches of little red bits in it like to pay homage to the classic white mage and and apparently i was blind <laughs> You're so stylish. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to play one day. In fact, we're probably going to do an episode in the near future, aren't we? So um, I'll have to get my uh, my butt into gear and get playing. You are, because it's quite a long game, to be fair. But it's worth it. it oh, is, is really it? <laughs> uh, so my number seven is Yakuza Like a Dragon, which uh, is one game I've been pestering you to play since I finished Final Fantasy XIV. It's just one pest after another of me, isn't it? Oh, this bloody game. I've heard so much about this. <laughs> Yeah, so Yakuza, I've never played uh, the... I mean, this is a seventh game, right? And I never played a single one of them until now. And uh, the series is historically an action series, I believe, um, with some RPG elements. But they went full JRPG, uh, this installment, and they're actually going to keep doing that for the future installments as well. And they've got a spin-off series. I think it's called Lost Judgment. And that's going to stay as an action series for fans of the original action series. So I like how they've sort of catered to um, to both different audiences. But it's really good. Oh, my God. It's such a great JRPG. It's stuffed with side quests. There's so much to do in it. Um, and it's really great to play as a crew of all adults. Like the average, when I say adults, I mean the average age is like 38 or something. It, there's, there's elderly characters in it that are approaching 60. Well, it's not really elderly, but there's characters approaching 60. I think the youngest is 29. And they're all real people. And I'm not going to spoil anything about saying how the game works as an RPG, even though it's set in the real world. But basically, classes are chosen at a job center. <laughs> like, uh, you go to a job center and you can change your job, which is your, your class. Um, there's like, you know, there's like a security guard and there's a chef and they've got their own abilities. But I, uh, I, I also really love the, the summoning system in, in the, in the game. It's called pound mates. And basically you do favors for people around the city and as a favor, they'll give you their phone number. And when you need them, you call on them and they'll come and help you as a summon. <laughs> There are some which are standard, like, you know, a big tough guy you call and he comes and beats all the enemies up. And there are some which are really out there. Like, they're all kind of out there in their own way. But there's one called Nancy, and she's a lobster that you save um, from being boiled in a pot. And uh, for some reason... This sounding game I've ever heard of. <laughs> yeah, you save her from being boiled in a pot. And as a favour, somehow she gives you her phone number. And... Uh, 
you can call on her anytime and she'll rain a big crustacean sort of shower on people and bite them and give them a poison status effect because we all know that lobsters are poisonous right yeah of course venomous it's the deadly yeah it, it, it's really fun i love all the characters in the game but i'm particularly fond of the main character ishiman who's going to be the main character of all the new games going forward i believe and psycho who is someone you meet along the way and she, she's fantastic and the characters in the game uh, that you get in your party are a mix of male and female. It's, it's mostly male, but you do get two female characters. Uh, and by the way, one is optional. And I love a lot of optional characters, as we mentioned earlier. I love them. But this this is the first time that they've ever included a playable female character in a Yakuza game. And they're treated as a regular party member. Like It's not like, oh, there's good-looking psycho what's she doing now she's just a regular one of the guys kind of thing and she even has like um a little uh storyline about that and her feelings about that and addresses it and it's really good it does have some issues its portrayal of homeless people is not great being homeless is a class you can be in the game bizarrely with its own abilities and they're all very stereotypical like alcohol based abilities it's very odd but overall, yeah, it, it's a great game and you should definitely play it. Oh, I will. I'm, I'm fully aware that we've got it lined up on our list of things to play. So my time of escaping it is over, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, on to number six. Mine is Final Fantasy VI. I've just realised it's number six in game and in title and that wasn't intentional. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse um, to believe that wasn't <laughs> As a like a, a character lover, like I love the characters in RPGs. My favorite things about uh, playing an RPG and the storylines they have, and the different abilities in battle they have. Um, this is a great game because there are fourteen of them, and two of them are secret characters. <laughs> um, <laughs> you love them. <laughs> uh, each one's got their own story. Some are more involved than others, but they've all got a pretty decent chunk of story to them. And uh, I, I love the general aesthetic of the world. It's steampunk, and even though like Final Fantasy VII has elements of steampunk in it, this is way more so. It's got like cogs for machinery and steam everywhere and sort of copper like machines. And it's, it's great. And it, it's set in a, a kind of a dystopic world as well, which gets worse as time goes on. Have you played Final Fantasy VI before? I played a little bit of Final Fantasy VI. I can't remember when it was. I think it was during kind of secondary school sort of time and I played a little bit of it and then the game stopped working and then I never kind of replayed it. So I've never actually finished six. I've only done, I think the first kind of third, even though I know that people do really like it. Yeah, it, it's it's really good. It's got, like I said, it's got a really good story and the character arcs for, for most of them are fantastic. In particular, what stands out to me is my favourite character in the game uh, is Salise, which should, is that how you pronounce it? I don't know. I always say Celise, C-E-L-E-S. She has two moments in the game that absolutely stand out for me. Uh, without going to details, her on the cliff and her singing the opera. Both are stuck with me as a, like, a key moment in any Final Fantasy games. It, it really is one worth playing. And they have actually re-released all games, one to six, I believe, on mobile recently. But I think there's... The people want them to release it for like the Switch and the PC, and I think they're going to do that after some pressure. So you might be able to play again in the future. Yeah, I mean, I would like to play it, and I'd like to play the original version as well, to be fair. It's just one of those things that there's so many games that come out all the time, 
And I get so set in my ways replaying ones I know I love that I've never got around to going back and doing it. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, you, you're a big replayer of games, aren't you? I, I don't really do that. I'll go back after many years and replay, but I won't do it like immediately or within a, a couple of months. I hardly ever do that. It's rare I'll replay one within a few months. The only one recently that I think I've done that with is Persona 5 because mm-hmm. I just wanted to see what other kind of story options I could I could get in it. But I'm very big on every couple of years or so, I'll replay essentially the ones on this top 10 list, apart from Kingdom Hearts 2. Oh, wait, uh, I beg to differ because I knew you at university and you played Final Fantasy VIII for the entire three years and Norfolk game. <laughs> Final Fantasy VIII has a special place in my heart. <laughs> and you're still it, doing it now. It's, in, it's incredible. You're still doing it now. Like I'll message you and like, oh, I'm playing Final Fantasy VIII. And it's been 10 years since I've known you and you're still playing it. So <laughs> don't believe I you. Lo- I can't help it. I love that game. I just want to be <laughs> Renoa. Okay. Let me have this. All right. So what's your number six? So my number six is Final Fantasy X. I played this, I think I was about 10. I played it shortly after it came out. And I just think the story and the character of this game is amazing. The jumping graphics and what it could achieve between nine and 10, I remember just blowing me away when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It's much more linear, obviously, than the last few games because there is no open world map. You are pretty much chivied between one city, a bit of a path and another city. And if you want to go back, then you have to use the airship to jump between them. But when I was playing, I was so engrossed in the journey and the story that I didn't care that it was linear. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. want to go back and explore. I remember just wanting to get to the next bit and see what was going to happen because there's so much kind of dark religious imagery in that game and like the evolving story and seeing the characters struggling. I didn't want to explore. I just wanted to see what was going to happen with the characters. And it's rare for a game to involve me so much in the story that I don't want to be sidetracked. And then at the end of the game, we only are able to jump around the airship. There's so many side things you can do for weapons and limit breaks and secret enemies and go to the monster arena to basically entirely break the game to become the most powerful thing to ever exist. I I just sunk hours into it. And even like if you take the main characters outside of it, the character development of people like Waka, who starts off being pretty much racist at the start and then completely has a 180 in how he looks at the world. I just think it's a a really well-made game. And I know people remember it for bad reasons, like the laughing scene. I know that that's what kind of sticks in people's minds. But when I played it, I didn't even have an issue with that scene. It's meant to be stupid. The battle system is one of the better ones in the Final Fantasy series. I think being able to see when enemies and when your characters are going to attack lets you fully plan out a fight. And that really plays into my like slightly OCD personality. And yeah, I just love it. Yeah, I like the fact you can switch between characters mid-battle for the first Final Fantasy game and wherever you can do that. Yeah. And it's even small things like in battle, sometimes the characters will say things to each other. And when you swap them in, they'll say sassy little comments and things. And I, I just, yeah, every bit of that game, I was engrossed in. Mm-hmm. And it's one that it's a bit of an odd game because the main character, I'm going to call him Tidus because that's what I always called him. I always called him Tidus. <laughs> I've heard that. I always said Tidus, but I can see, especially with this is like water theme, I can see why people would say Tidus, but I'm going to stick with Tidus. What um, do they call him in Kingdom Hearts? So they say the name out loud, don't they? Oh, do, oh, that's a good point, actually. I don't actually know. I'm assuming they say his name out loud, out loud in Decidia as well, but I've never played it. Oh, do um, they? Me neither. 
we'll research this when we do Final Fantasy X because I'm not too sure. <laughs> yes. When I replayed this a few years later, I kind of came to the conclusion that you see the game through the world of Tidus, but I don't think he's actually the main character. To me, Yuna's the main character and you're seeing the main character's journey through his eyes. Like it's her journey. She's on her pilgrimage. She's the one who's meant to, you know, accomplish all these things. She's the one on the main cover. And it's it's odd to me that I'm so used to Final Fantasy games being a male protagonist and it's his journey, but it really isn't. It's hers and he's just along for the ride, essentially. Mm-hmm. Who's your favourite character then? Is it Yuna? I've always liked Riku in it. I always felt like she was just a bit more fun than Yuna. Yuna could be a little bit docile for me. Like I really like Yuna's journey, but I think as a character, Riku was the one I enjoyed hearing talk the most. Mm-hmm. I like Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> With all of her belts. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the game a lot too. Um, I don't actually think I've ever completed it, thinking about it. Maybe once, a long time ago. Um, really? Yeah. I've played through it several times, I think, over the years, and I don't think I've ever actually fully completely admit, like, maybe one time? I really don't remember. But I used to be a bit annoyed that you couldn't skip cutscenes because I remember there was a fight that I found particularly tough with Lady Unaleska, and it had a gigantic cutscene before it. And every time I died, I had to replay it again. I had to go through the entire cutscene again. But I think in later games, so later ports, they've sort of changed that and you can now skip it. Is that right? I'm not sure. I know in 10-2, which, which isn't in my top 10 list, I'm just saying, um, <laughs> you can skip cutscenes in that. I don't know if you can in 10 in future ports, right. but I know what you mean. It is frustrating. You can't skip them sometimes because you don't need to see them over and over again. But I actually specifically do remember the Lady in Lescon being annoying. Did you ever manage to get the 200 lightning bolt dodges? No, is that what it is? I decided oh. <laughs> that would make go insane. So there was a couple of things. I never did that. I never did the butterfly catching thing in the woods because I got irritated. I did, however, play enough Blitzball to get all of Waka's oh, limit God. And Blitzball. <laughs> I hated that game and I had to force myself to play it to get all of his stuff. And I hated myself for it. <laughs> and I did the stupid Chocobo race to get Tidus's ultimate weapon and that was killer. Yeah, I don't think I did that. I think I got... How do you get Lulu's weapon? Lulu's is, I think you get her weapon just at the bottom of the the water by the Baal Temple, but then to get the thing that unlocks it, I think that's the 200 lightning bolts, I think. I thought that was Riku's. I'm not sure. No, Riku's, you do the Cactuar um, quest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I never got that one. I don't think I got any of the weapons then. I definitely didn't get... Titus's one with the chocobos because I could never make that stupid, insane time. Is it like you have to get like one second or something? You have to get zero seconds, yeah. Zero, yeah. Clearly, Steve, okay. I'm just a much better chocobo racer than you. Very clearly, I yeah. I, I did chocobo racing in Final Fantasy fourteen, and I was a pro, I'll have you know. Don't you dare start talking about Final Fantasy fourteen again. <laughs> I've heard enough about that from you. <laughs> <laughs> so what would your five be? So for me, number five is Chrono Trigger. Have you played it before? No, I've not actually. Okay. It's um it's probably one of the most famous uh JRPGs outside of Final Fantasy Dragon Quest. It's like a bit uh, of a, a jab at me. Like, have you played it? No. Well it's not, <laughs> it's not a jab, it's not a jab. You'll get around <laughs> to playing it one day because I'll make you for the podcast. <laughs> this is such a threatening podcast. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it, it's really good. It's a SNES game, so it, it's quite an old game now. Uh, there was a sequel for the PlayStation 1, Chrono Trigger? No, that's this one, Chrono Cross, which I never <laughs> played. But it's really good. It's a game that moves through time. So you have like one world map with a few towns in it. And then you sort of go to different locations through time in the game. So you go like to the Stone Age and you go to medieval equivalent and you go to the distant future and you get a cast of characters that are from all different time periods. So you like you have a robot from the future in your party. You have a... Uh, like a cave woman called Ayla who in your party, who's one of my favorites. She's great. And the battle system's fantastic. You get this, it's, it's kind of a traditional game where each character got their own strengths and weaknesses. So like the, the Stone Age character, Ayla, uh, magic hadn't been sort of discovered yet when she was alive. And so she can't use magic and she has no MP. Whereas like there are some characters who are proficient only in magic and can barely attack. And you can get this uh, joint attack. So when two people are in a party long enough, they might develop an attack together, like the robot from the distant future and Isla the Stone Stone Age woman can attack together with a special attack, for example. And it's really cool. Story is great too, and there's a secret character. It's definitely worth a play. And I think it's had several ports. I think it was on the DS, and I think it's now on the Switch, I think. I'll double-check that, but yeah. What's yours? What's your number five? So my number five is going to be one that I think you think should be much higher up the list because I've got Persona 5 as five. So yeah, you can be disappointed in me if you'd like. I'll continue to be disappointed. (laughs) I love Persona 5. I think it's a fantastic game. The social system is so enjoyable. I was desperate to spend time with the characters in the free time. Like, the amount of time in between each palace you go to when I just be like, oh, I wonder what Anne's doing at the mall. I was just desperate, desperate <laughs> to go and spend time with them. Even Ryuji, who I know you don't like quite as much. I was no, fully I invested in his running team antics and wanted to see <laughs> what was going to happen. The battle system, to go back to that real traditional turn-based after not playing any new ones for a really long time was so, so enjoyable. And the music's great the appearance of the game, the design of the characters, most of the story up until kind of beating God as a demon at the end, like most of it I was so there for. It's it's just so enjoyable. I remember when I first started playing it, it was right before I caught COVID and I basically spent two weeks solidly playing Persona 5 and it pretty much became my life while I was sitting there not able to eat anything. And it, it managed to make COVID enjoyable and that's that's saying something because I just loved it. I remember finishing it and then instantly wanting to replay it again just so I could see what other things I could do with the characters. And in fact, the second time I did it, I decided that just to see all of it, I was going to try to date every single woman in the game. But I liked the characters so much that I felt so guilty that I literally stopped playing it because I felt so bad. I couldn't <laughs> bring myself to do it. The royal version you played, right? Yeah, I played royal, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've not played the original one. I know there's a few problematic elements of royal but the, it's a lot improved since the original one, but there's still a lot of sexist stuff around. Um, and I didn't know what the original dialogue was with the, the gay characters that you meet in the game, but it sounds like in Royal, it's, it's a lot better than it was in the original one. But I mean, this game, there's very little I would change to it other than that. Like the battle system, I wouldn't really change. The locations you go to, the characters, I just love the entire game. I could easily just keep on playing it over and over, even though it's like a 100-hour game. 
Yeah, the aesthetics of the game are incredible. Like the the menu system and the 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 battle system is is really great, and the whole look of the game is fantastic. And just that feeling of, I think you do kind of believe you're in Tokyo. Like it does feel like that. It's so you know, you control around the city, and it feels vibrant and alive. And yeah, you're just so invested in the characters by the end of that game. Oh, I do feel a bit bad because, like I said, I played this when I had COVID, so I was stuck at home for a solid two weeks, and my boyfriend who was with me was stuck in the house of me listening to that battle music play over and over again on loop for two weeks solid. And he didn't have COVID. He was just desperately like clawing at the windows wanting to escape <laughs> while I was there just playing it for about 18 hours a day. I think it went insane by the end of it. Yeah, you mentioned about the uh, the changes made in Royal. So um, they added a whole extended scene, at the, well, a whole term at the end, and they added a new character. But I, I like the changes they made because I did play the original game and they don't have the the, the counsellor character and the whole storyline. It's all new to the, to Royal. So I did yeah. like that. It did feel a bit stuck on the end. Like you could feel, but it was a different, it just felt different to the rest of the game. But it just meant that I got to spend more time playing it. So they mm-hmm. could have pretty much tacked on any story. If it meant I got to play it for longer, I, I was happy. But you mentioned the the gay characters and the sexism. So the, the gay characters are a massive problem. Uh, I I object to everything, the whole way they were portrayed. So in the original game, it was implied that they basically like slept with Ryuji against his will, and they like very sort of predatory and discriminatory. And they changed that in the royal version to instead of sex, they sort of put Ryuji in drag against his will. Which, like, it's better, I guess, but it's not great. It's still a very stereotypical image of how a gay man should be. I didn't like that at all. And then there's the sexism, which is really rampant uh, in this game, um, particularly towards Anne, but basically all the women at some point. And it is overt, and it's also covert as well. So covertly, it's like the anime scenes where the camera focuses on... Uh, Anne's cleavage and and the way that they pose Anne sometimes in the game I find it a bit awkward and then overtly there's a scene I remember where like they have a big meal and Anne falls asleep and the boys look up her skirt and I think it's sick really that they actually did that and put it in the game it's not cute it's not funny um she's meant to be a friend yeah and she's meant to be a teenage girl like yeah yeah, it is bad I mean it's not in the game enough for me to be like, that's it, I'm not playing it anymore. But it, when it happens, you do just kind of cringe inwardly because it just doesn't need to be there. No, it doesn't at all. It very much feels like a game that's targeted towards um, a male audience as well at times because there's, there's the whole sexism stuff and, and being sort of a, a voyeur. And then there's um, the fact that you can't date other guys. You can kind of date one guy in Persona 4, but um, it's kind of part of the course of the series, but you couldn't even give gifts to guys in Persona 5 original because obviously giving a gift to another man, I mean, that's just very homosexual. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can give them gifts in Royal uh, to improve your friendship. Just a very bizarre thing. Like, I, I just yeah. don't get it. And I wish I wish Joker could date other guys in the game or have the option to date other guys. Yeah, I wanted to date Ryuji just to annoy you. Oh, I, bet you did. I, I bet you did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's your number four? So my number four is Final Fantasy IX, which is, I, I just think, very close to being like my perfect example 
of a turn-based RPG. I, I just adore it in every way. I know that it was it was kind of like it was the last PS1 Final Fantasy game and they wanted to kind of go back to the original kind of medieval, very magic-y sort of storyline. And I think they completely nailed it. The storyline mm-hmm. is fantastic. It's not overly convoluted for the majority of it. It's You could follow it really easily. Pretty much all the characters, minus maybe a couple, have so much time poured into them. The dialogue is fantastic and how all the characters interact. The battle system is, it's not overly interesting, but it's its engaging enough that I was happy to spend hours grinding on that game to try and defeat the secret boss of Ozma, which you do have to be top level to be able to beat. Some of the bits that happen in the game where it's a bit, it's bleaker and it's darker and things aren't going right, combined with the the music in that game, it's its just beautiful to play it. Like when the main character, when he's having an existential crisis and all the other characters are there helping him, it's just so memorable. And Vivi's entire storyline of this small young child mage coming to terms with the fact that, again, spoilers here for a game that came out like 15 years ago, but essentially this small child mage who's just trying to find his way in the world thinking that he's possibly a line of this mass murdering race is going to die as a child and him trying to come to terms with it while helping the rest of his race who all act like children also understand that they're going to die. It's surprisingly dark for a game that looks like the design of it is very much looks quite childlike, but the storyline isn't. It, it's just so good to play. And the ending just makes me so warm inside. But it's another one of those games I could happily play over and over and I'd still want to do every single side mission and everything involving the characters just to see it all again mm-hmm. yeah for, I mean I never completed Final Fantasy 9 I never got past this too when you back in the day um the reason was uh, I was playing it and enjoying it and my memory card corrupted and the file was lost um your memory card Steve it's worth <laughs> it so I never continued. I was really annoyed. I never continued. And then I did actually re-download it uh, because it's been released on several platforms since then. It's like on everything. You can get it on any system you want to. I think I got it for PS4 or maybe the DS. I don't remember. But I played through it a little bit. And I remember being really annoyed at how long the battles took to initiate. You know, because the camera sort of pans around the area for a bit. And then it just annoyed me. But... I, uh, I get what you mean about the aesthetic of the game. It's a, it's a beautiful looking game and it, that return to the fantasy setting is is great. And I do like some of the characters. Like I, I really love Freya. Yeah. Um, but maybe one day I'll play it, I'm sure. I think I read that they've actually um, speeded up the battles a little bit to make them uh, go a little bit faster uh, and not have the camera pan around so much and add like 10 seconds to every battle at the start. On but, the PS4, um, I know you, there is like a fast battle system you can click in that does like, it speeds it through. Right. I, I never do it because I, I like the game enough that I'll keep watching them spin around, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I will replay it one day. And Vivi, of course, has become like a, an iconic Final Fantasy character, hasn't he? He's one of the, the favourites. Yeah, for good reason. He's adorable and it's really sad. Mm-hmm. So my number four is Breath of Fire 3. This was the first Breath of Fire game that I played. It's a PlayStation 1 era game. And it's just, it's amazing. It's got this great jazz soundtrack. Like the whole thing is like an acid, acid jazz. You get to play as the characters first as children, and then some time passes and you play them again as adults. 
And I really like that because you get to see different sides of the character and how they evolve over time. It's uh, it's got the it's got Ryu as a main character again, and Nina as your companion, and then you've got uh, supporting characters like Momo, who is like a, a rabbit character, and you've got my favorite character. I don't, I just call him Peko. Maybe it's Pico. It's P E C O. He's an onion. He's literally <laughs> an onion with little tiny feet. <laughs> um, and when you get him, you're like level twenty something, and you get him as level one. So I, I don't think a lot of people bother with him because it's just a pain in the ass to level up. But I find he levels up quite quickly and he's got this great ability where he can rejuvenate his HP every turn because he's a plant and apparently plants do that. <laughs> I'm looking at my dead plant right now and can confirm no. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't happen in real life. Um <laughs> But uh, he's actually the strongest character in the game physically if you level him up. But because he takes a bit of time and effort to do that, people don't bother with him, but he's fantastic. And it's got this system in it, the game. It's called a master's system. There are masters all over the world, and you sort of pick one that you want. Like, maybe like a guy in the woods or a woman that lives in a cave. And they will teach you things. And each master will give you different abilities that you'll learn if you stick with them and level up different stats for you. So you could pick to have like a master who focuses more on magic attacks. And every level up you get, you'll get more MP than you would if you didn't have that person as a master does that make sense yeah and that's an interesting mechanic because you get abilities from these masters that you don't get anywhere else so if you want a certain ability you have to go with this master and learn them to the top level and you can move to somebody else and then it gives a bit of customization to the to the battle system it's just a fantastic all-around game and the characters are all sort of strongly bonded to each other as well. It makes for a really nice story. But again, it is one of those games where you start off killing a slime and you end up killing a giant god at the end. <laughs> Very classic <laughs> JRPG trope. That doesn't make it any less good. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's such a cute game too, aesthetically. It's adorable, the little sprites they have. It is actually quite difficult to play now because, to my knowledge, they only re-released it for the PSP, which I never owned. I don't think you can get it on any other system and I don't have a PS1 anymore. So I've not been able to play it since it came out, but I would love to go back and replay that one day. Well, have I'm you... planning on making you get an old PS2 so that you can play Shadow Hearts. So oh, your God. time can come again, Steve. It's going gonna, it's gonna to occur. <laughs> can you even play PS2 on a modern TV? You can. If it's a really new TV, you have to get like this odd connector thing, which is what I've had to get down here. But you can do it. Okay, I'll give it a go. Again, foreshadowing, you're getting one. <laughs> so I believe we both have the same number three. We do have the same number three, and it's such a good game. <laughs> why is it number one then? Because Final Fantasy VIII exists, Steve. <laughs> Spoilers for your number one. <laughs> I said we're going to predict that already. <laughs> so do you want to say what number three is? Oh, it's Grandia. It's Grandia. Grandia. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, you can take this one. So I remember playing Grandia, I must have been really young, in primary school with one of my other little primary school friends and just finding it the most fun thing I'd ever done. It has such a weird battle system that I don't recall ever seeing in any other series of games. And I don't know why, because it's so good. And <laughs> pretty much all the characters, they're all so much fun, even though some of them you don't even have for the entire game, you get them for small segments but they all have unique abilities. It's so much fun just to grind in this game and level up. 
the way that you use mana eggs and then you combine grinding up each one to get higher level spells and different characters can gain different higher level spells than each other. And it, oh, it's just amazing. And the world feels massive in Grandia. Like Mm -hmm. it feels like you travel such a far distance. You see so many unique places and wandering around all these towns, like you could interact and Dustin will have pretty much a full conversation with almost every NPC in that game. If you want to, Mm-hmm. It's not one of those games where you go up to someone, they say a line of dialogue. Like he will actually have a conversation with all of these people. You could drag this game out to like a hundred hours if you wanted by just going around <laughs> and seeing all of the conversations in this game. And I, I just absolutely love it. Yeah, I, I played it when I was a kid uh, when it first came out. Well, I, it first came out on the Saturn, I believe. I played it when it got its PS1 release in the late nineties, I think it was. Uh, yeah, fantastic. And because I was young, like 14, 15, that feeling of like, playing as someone the same age as you you're playing as justin who was around that age and exploring the world it felt like such a big mission you know what i mean it it felt like such a a, an undertaking something inspiring in a way and it's one of the few games i mean justin's meant to be young in that game he's meant to be like 13 or something and i mean it's a bit odd that fina's like 16 and has a crush on him but putting that aside it's one of these games where you play as a kid but it it doesn't feel annoying it suits the game Especially like when me and you were both that sort of age playing, like you do feel like you're playing as a kid in that world and it doesn't feel out of place. Yeah, I mean, the game opens uh, when you meet Justin and Sue for the first time, the the two sort of core pod characters that you get at the start. They're playing like a fantasy hide-and-seek kind of game with other kids in the town, you know, just being kids playing a game. And then when you get to the end, they're killing God. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Justin does have a big character development in particular. Like he goes from this like silly boy. uh, Well, not, it's not silly per se. He's very idealistic and very naive and he becomes very very serious and very, um, very mature as time goes on. More mature, not very mature. (laughs) And it's odd because even though the graphics in that game, they're technically, they're terrible. Like they're little colored blobs running around, but it's so rich and the dialogue is so, good and the, the way the characters in like kind of interact with each other is that the graphics don't even bother me slightly i can still picture that being a full world and how both characters look in my head mm-hmm. i don't mind the graphics i think they they're dated for sure but i think they're cute <laughs> the little sprites are so adorable they and are. Um, i mean you can see all the little characters faces and the expressions change depending on yeah the happening. portraits yeah yeah <laughs> i like that as well um it's definitely one of the more wholesome rpgs that i've played in my life mm-hmm. that way but then I really like the sequel. I like Grandia 2 as well, but I don't think you've played it, have you? I haven't played it. Um, I own it now because I got the uh, HD uh, remaster collection for Switch, but I never played it. But I will, I will. And you haven't played 3, have you? Neither of us have played 3. No, I heard negative things about 3 and I didn't want to kind of sully my memory of Grandia, so I just never played it. But I really like the second one. I don't think they actually released it in Europe. I think it was only in North America they released 3. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, outside of Japan, yeah. Yeah, I love the battle system too, like you mentioned. Um, I love that each character's got their own abilities, uh, unique abilities, uh, with little voice lines. Um, and mm-hmm. for such a, a game that starts off so silly and like carefree, it does have some serious sad moments in it. Like, um, I know we joke all the time that you are Sue, because you are. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but when I she... <laughs> yeah, you're an eight-year-old girl. No, <laughs> purple hair. Yeah, I'm kidding. You Who's know. very scared but... of earthquakes? <laughs> earthquakes are scary. Um, 
Yeah, but when when she leaves, I think that's a genuinely sad scene because she has to face reality that she's an eight-year-old girl and she can't continue walking across the world again to fight every day. Uh, it's yeah. exhausting. She hides how tired she is and how exhausted she is and eventually collapses. And they use this uh, tool to send her back, which they were going to use to basically end the game, right? And they have to find another way to, to get to the end. But um, yeah, it's a really sad scene. Yeah, and the music during that scene is really nice as well. The music generally in, in Grandir is fantastic, but yeah, that's a, a particularly good song and the battle music is great. The, the two battle musics that you get are great. And I actually played the first half an hour of the game last week when I got the HD remaster and that goddamn town theme game has stuck in my head ever since. <laughs> the first town, Palm. Yeah, that, um, doo, doo. I, I'm going to do it again. In last episode, I, I tried to hum something and it was awful. I'm not going to do it again because <laughs> I can't do it. No, it is fantastic. And I think it helps that our friendship was pretty much cemented by the fact that we both like Grandia. I don't remember how it came up. I really don't remember. It came up fairly early in our uh, friendship that yeah. um, we we liked it. But Yeah, and it's odd because it's not a game that you would really bring up on a regular basis because I always just assume that no one's heard of it. Yeah, and we actually played it briefly. Do you remember when we were between second and third year? I think it became available on PlayStation Network and we both got it. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your number two game? My number two game and my number one game we've already covered. <laughs> my oh, number no. two game is Persona 5. Um, I said my piece about that. And spoiler alert, my number one game is Final Fantasy VII Original, which you've also Ooh. discussed. <laughs> I feel like there's probably more for you to say about Final Fantasy VII Original, though, because I know you love that game and I was a bit more negative about it. So what bits do you really like about Final Fantasy VII? Well, like I said earlier, I love the overall industrial sci-fi feel of the game. I think it's fantastic, especially in Midgar. It reminds me of Blade Runner a little bit. Have you seen Blade Runner? Yeah, yeah. With the neon signs and, yeah, the the, the grime and the, the steam from the, the grates and stuff. It's a bit like that. The character development in the game is fantastic, even though, like you said, I did find it a bit complex at first to get my head around, like the stuff with the Sephiroth clones and Tifa's history with Cloud when she was a tour guide in, in Nibelheim Mountain. And Zach, especially, I think I get it all now. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I do too. And I do think a lot of it was the translation of the game originally could be a little bit unclear. Yeah, I remember playing this for the first time in roughly 98, 99. And I was obsessed with it. And I used to go to like an internet cafe and print off like little guys to, to help me optimize the game. So I got my oh. gold chocobo through like a guide that I printed off and brought home with me and did it. And you had to reset the PlayStation several times, <laughs> annoyingly. Oh, wow. And I got all the ultimate weapons and stuff um, as a kid. And yeah, I, I really got everything out of that game that you could possibly get. And I, I really like some of the uh, the side characters and the the villains. So I'm never re- I never really been keen on Sephiroth that much. Like he's he's not my favorite villain in the Final Fantasy series. I, I like the Turks because they're kind of on the cusp of villains and not good guys. They're kind of like chaotic neutral towards the end, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I do know what you mean. They're still doing terrible things. They're still working for a bad company and they are technically ones who manually bring down the plate, but they're not the ones behind all of it. No, and I mean, following orders, I don't think that's really an excuse. You're still choosing to follow the order, right? But, <laughs> um... but at the same time, Avalanche <laughs> blew up a reactor and killed hundreds of innocent people. So it's like right. everyone's a bit but... bad in Final Fantasy VII in a way, I think, aren't they? 
there are times when they let you go when they could have caught you and handed you in. Um, yeah, or like in the Wu Tai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it just shows they, they do have some humanity behind them. They're, they're more complex than some 2D bad guys. I mean, I think one of the things I do like most about Final Fantasy VII, I like Cloud's unreliable narrator part. I quite like the fact that it turns out that he was never this, you know, strong soldier, you know, ultimate fighter. He was a guy who failed to get in and then was experimented yeah. on. And then it was saved by Zach. He didn't even manage to get out of that on his own. He's an unreliable mm-hmm. narrator and he's not a hero. He is someone who struggles and still manages to help. I just mm-hmm. really like that of his character arc. All right. So what's your number two? So my number two, I feel like I've been a bit misleading this whole podcast because my number two is actual Final Fantasy VIII. It's not number one. What? <laughs> I, I know. I've tricked you. <laughs> I don't know why, but I have. But I love Final Fantasy VIII. I remember I mentioned it in the last podcast that this was the first RPG I ever played and I played it with my mum. See, it came out in 1999 and I think we got it a year later. So I think I would have been eight and... I couldn't really play it on my own at the time because I was just a bit too young and the junction system was a little bit of an overwhelming thing to try and figure out. But I've played it so many times since then. And even though the story of Final Fantasy VIII at times is bizarre and leaps around all over the place, like you're a teenager being sent on army missions, essentially, and then suddenly you have to go into space and then you time travel. All of it does Mm -hmm. leap around all over the place, but... I just love the story and all of the characters, even though some of them are so annoying. For some reason, it really, really sticks with me. And I know it's controversial, but I love the junction system. Being able to essentially break that game by converting items into magic. Again, it goes into my OCD thing, but I find it so fun to just mess with the numbers in that and make it perfect. Like, I never let the game do it automatically by pressing auto. I always have to do it manually myself because I find it yeah. so satisfying. And it's one of the Final Fantasy ones very much more focused on the romance story more so than anything else. And again, I think just because of the age range when I played it the most between kind of 8 to 14, I really, really like that more so than I probably would if I'd played it for the first time now, especially as Squall has no personality. And why anyone would like him is now beyond me. I think it must be all the belts. I think people must just be drawn <laughs> to them and the fur-lined jacket. I heard the other day you call Squall something in your first ever game. <laughs> so <laughs> you can name him when you first play. And me, as an eight-year-old, I just read the Little House on the Prairie books. And the guy that Laura Ingalls Wilder ends up marrying is called Alamanzo. And I was like, Mum, I insist you call him Alamanzo or I don't want to play. <laughs> but Alamanzo didn't fit. So she was called Alamans the whole time that we played Final Fantasy VIII. And I mentioned to my mum that we were doing this podcast and she didn't believe me that his name wasn't Alamans. I was like, no, it was Squall. And she was like, no, that's ridiculous. It was Alamans. I was like, no, that's just what eight-year-old me called him, which is the worst name. Yeah, I like I like Final Fantasy VIII. Um, it's not my favorite one, but I, I I do enjoy it a lot. I haven't played for many years, though, unlike you, plays every five minutes. <laughs> but uh, I remember I used to really like Selfie when I was younger, and now looking back, like I'm thinking, what did I ever see in Selfie? Like it doesn't really have much of a storyline that I can recall. I think uh, these days I, I'm more drawn to people like Idia, uh, the the villain. Well, for the first part of the game, anyway, and and uh, I do like Renora as well, which I think is your favorite, isn't she? Yeah, I always really like Renoa. And again, this is going back to my humiliating childhood, but 
oh, do I want to say this on the podcast? I'm invested now. So I used to, when I was really young, come up with stories, but I couldn't be bothered to write them. So I used to get my poor grandma to type them out for me on her like little laptop typewriter. And all of the main characters in that were called Renoa, always. Poor grandma, like, how do you spell Renoa again? Like, rhino? Like, no grandma. <laughs> Obviously not. One thing that stuck with me about Final Fantasy VIII is a triple triad game. I really enjoyed that. And you could play it in Final Fantasy XIV, you're just saying. Had to lure me in with my love of Final Fantasy VIII. But no, and, that, um, I used to always collect all the rare character cards in Triple Triad. I thought it was one of the most like enjoyable mini games in the Final Fantasy series. Yeah, the characters and the summons had them too, didn't they? And there's all sorts of uh, the bosses had them too, even. Yeah, no, I just really like that game, and I'm aware it's very flawed, and that the development of Eight was a bit of a car crash by the sounds of it, which is why the battle system is it's in a way that it can break the game very early on if you yeah. let it. And it, it could have done with some more time, probably to iron out those mistakes. But I, I think it's a combination of being the first one I ever played and the age range of when I played it, that every time I now replay it, it gives me back that feeling of like teenage angst, which is what mm-hmm. basically all the characters' personalities are. And it just, yeah, I just really enjoy it. Uh, going back to the battle system, I think I played through it three times in my life, that game, um, at different points. And I always used to, you know, that fight where Renoa strapped to uh, Adele and you have to fight around her, right? And she can hurt Renoa if you don't kill her quickly enough. Yeah, I accidentally once Renza Kukund her in the face and she died instantly. Yeah. Well, yeah. I uh, Kamikaze was the ability that I used. I always taught it to someone and um, overpowered it. And just the start of the fight, I just ran straight into uh, Adele and killed her in a big explosion. Just blew Renoa up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right so what's your number one so my number one is following on from what i was saying earlier is the original shadow hearts game it's by far my favorite one the one that sticks with me the most it was a shame because it had a really problematic release time i would say it came out pretty much the exact same time as final fantasy 10 but was produced by a much much smaller company so the graphics compared to 10 look fucking awful but the storyline is, to me, is amazing. It's so dark um, and twisted. And all the characters, they have so much development and misery during these storylines, especially the two main characters. The, the graphics, in a way, because they're, they're not that good, I think actually play into the story quite well. So there's a lot of gore and dark scenes in this. And because you can't really see exactly what's happening, I think actually, in a way, makes it better. But... I don't really want to give too many spoilers away, especially as I know you haven't played it and I and I, mm-hmm. and I really want you to, but one of the main characters does die in the game. And uh, the whole first part of the game is it, it builds it up of like, you know, you're going to save them, it's all going to be fine. And then they die and it's, it's just so bleak and miserable. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have that feel of an RPG of like, you don't feel like you've accomplished anything at the end of it because everything you feel like you've worked towards just feels like nothing. And I remember Mm -hmm. when I first played it and it really took me by surprise that that happened because I thought, you know, it was going to be like a normal game where it doesn't and everything's fine. And then replaying it. And I was so invested in these characters by that point that it just broke my heart. And the music that goes along with that character's theme really, really sticks in my head. And it it wasn't really something I'd seen in RPG. Like even Final Fantasy VII with Aerith dying didn't hit me the same way because I hadn't had the entire game to become invested in this character and to have actively tried to save them and for them to have still died. And then for the second game to kind of carry on the story minus that character, it just really, really hit hard for me. And I said a bit about it when I said about Shadow Hearts 2 is the judgment ring battle system 
it's in the first game as well, but it's not as polished, definitely. But it's still really fun to play. It gives the extra hard element to the game of in order to attack or do any of your special moves, you have to hit this ring at the right point. And the more powerful a move is, the smaller the area the ring will be that you need to hit. And then you get status effects on top of it. And it's it's just really engaging. And the world of Shadow Hearts, it's really odd. It's based in the real world. So you'll travel to real life locations and occasionally you'll meet historical figures that actually did exist in real life. Oh, like who? So like in the second game, one of the main villains is Rasputin. And one of your main characters that you play is Princess Anastasia. She's one of your main characters. It's really odd. There's a whole thing where you go to Petrograd and he's trying to take over Russia and she joins your party to fight him and he turns into a demon. It's a bizarre game, but it really sticks out. Like in the first Shadow Hearts, the first half of the game is based in um, Shanghai mainly. And then the second half of the game is based in Europe. So you travel to kind of Prague and London and all the theme music of these different cities is very fitting with that area of the world. Yeah, it's just a really, really fun game to play. And like I said, really, really dark theming. There's a lot of death and torture and trying to bring people back from the dead and cannibals. And it's just unusual. And I love it. That sounds good. The other thing I know about uh, Shredder Heart series is from listening to another podcast um, in which they had best cats and best dogs of RPGs episodes, two different episodes. And I think there was a cat and a dog in one and two. Oh, there's a wolf in two called Blanca. A wolf. Yeah. Is there a cat in one? I don't think there's a cat in maybe, one. Oh, actually, I think the cat was in three. I think the cat was in three, maybe. Uh, we pretend three doesn't exist. Oh, do we? Yeah. Is that an opinion <laughs> I have to have two? <laughs> I've decided I'm giving you that opinion that three okay. is a <laughs> that ruins it, yeah. Okay. But no, the Blanca's a wolf in two, and he's just... All the human characters, basically, are all idiots. And then Blanca, who they can't understand, but it's just sassy and bitchy about them the entire game, and they just, they just don't understand him. <laughs> yeah, I'll uh, I'll play at one point. I mean, you've already forced the, the purchase of a PS2 on me, so I guess I'll uh, I'll have to play it at some point for the podcast. I live fairly close to a retro gaming store, and they have a lot of Japanese releases of of games, and they, they have quite a lot of Shadow Hearts Japanese versions you can buy. Oh, nice! Yeah, I've got a few other games. I've not got that one, but I've got a few other games that I bought for display purposes for the SNES. Right, so that was our top ten list. What do you guys think? Have you got any comments or opinions of your own? Uh, what are your top 10 RPGs? Please share with us. What's our next podcast? Do you remember? So our, so our next podcast, I believe, is going to be Persona 5, which we both have on our top 10 list. Yeah, we're going to a lot more detail of Persona 5 with the characters and the battle system. Um, I'm looking forward to that one because it really is such a fantastic game. I know it's well-loved. So yeah, that, that should be a, that should be a good discussion. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. There's a lot to say about that game because it's it's so rich. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Please find us on Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts, as well as on most major podcast apps. You can follow us on Twitter at Mirth and Magic or drop us an email at mirthandmagicpodcast at gmail.com. And as ever, have a good one. All right. And we'll see you in about two weeks. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.